Hello, you're listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded on September 27th, 2022 at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this podcast, we welcome Ms. Jamie Fico to speak on her research as a grantee of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies, entitled Watermelons, Dates, and Living with Water Scarcity in Zagora. Jamie Fico is a U.S. Fulbright researcher studying agricultural, social, and environmental change in the southeastern oases of Morocco. Her work stems from her time as a U.S. Peace Corps volunteer in the province of Zagora from 2018 to 2020 and focuses on the lived experience of water shortages and agricultural transitions in the region. She holds a Master of Arts from Syracuse University in Geography and a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Virginia in Middle Eastern Studies and Global Studies. Jamie, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about your research and what led you to this fascinating topic? Yeah, thank you. So I lived in the province of Zagora in southeastern Morocco from 2018 to 2020, working with community members as a U.S. Peace Corps volunteer. And I became really fascinated by the oasis landscape in the southeast of the country and the transformations in agriculture that were happening in the region as water shortages were becoming very common. So Zagora has a very long history as a date-producing region of Morocco. Historically, the Draw Valley was one of several trade routes for nomadic caravans coming from sub-Saharan Africa through Morocco's southern oases. However, today, Zagora is having significant water issues. At the same time, it is producing between 70,000 to 85,000 tons of watermelon per year. So just to give everyone some perspective of how water scarcity is impacting daily lives, the Draw River, which is controlled by a dam, is usually dry throughout most of the year. It really only fills for 10 to 20 days after a dam release. Normally, there should be three to four dam releases per year of 120 million cubic meters, but really this amount fluctuates depending on the amount of water in the dam in a given year. So there are years in the late 1970s and the early 1980s where there are eight to 15 dam releases per year. And you can compare this to last year when there was just three dam releases, and this year there's only been two so far. And so this amount is really not sufficient to meet local irrigation needs, and it really was shocking to see the state of the oases this past summer. So the oases in Zagora in the Draw Valley are really this breathtaking stretch of date palms running for 200 kilometers, that's about 124 miles along the river, but large sections were almost totally brown this year, even in the upper end of the valley, which is not normal. Um, and so farmers commented that the water that was released from the dam was really not enough to be diverted to irrigation canals or significantly raise the water table. So the reduction of irrigation water is one major impact of water scarcity on local lives, but also water shortages are frequently interrupting normal household routines. So for instance, many residents are having to buy drinking water because the tap water is undrinkable, it's salty or bitter or dirty, um, and it frequently cuts off in the summer. And so some villages as well are having drinking water trucked in. And so these are some of the ways that water scarcity is having major impacts on daily life in the oasis environment in the south and southeast of Morocco today. So you spoke a little bit about dates. The region's also known for watermelon. How do these water scarcity issues affect watermelon growing? Right, so even though the region is currently experiencing about drought, this has really not slowed watermelon production. So from April to May, the province of Zagora fills with activity these buyers working for agricultural companies arrive, they stay in local hotels, agriculture workers gather in Zagora to harvest the crop, and trucks hauling tons of melons products are hauling these up and down the roads, transporting these predominantly to packaging companies located in Agadir, Burkhan, and Casablanca, so cities near the coast, which then send these products to markets abroad, predominantly to Europe. 
So these watermelons are mostly intended for export, but watermelon production is also a major industry locally in terms of job creation and economic exchange. And so every year I go back to the region, I find more watermelon farms appearing. I'd like to learn a little bit more about Oasis agriculture. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So Zagora is part of the Middle Draw Valley, which is a series of six oases along the Draw River. There's Mesquitza, Tinzolin, Taranata, Katawa, and Mahemid. Um, and these oases were built by extending irrigation from the Draw River through a series of canals, which carry water to individual plots or fields known as Ikran and Temazekt. And then underneath the date palms, families are farming cereals, vegetables, small numbers of fruit trees, and alfalfa for household sheep and goats. So when I mention Oasis agriculture, this is what I'm referring to is this three-tiered system of date palms, of tree crops, of ground crops, mostly for household production but with some market production of surplus dates or vegetables. And so this is a really well-adapted form of agriculture in the region because the date palms shelter the ground crops from the sun and they trap moisture from irrigation, which creates this cooler microclimate for farming in the arid pre-Saharan climate. So well-adapted to the region, but I assume there must be some limitations. Right. So oasis farming has many local benefits, but it's not really a form of agriculture that provides much income for households today, at least in Zagora. So nowadays, with the decline in water from the Draw River, this has limited what farmers can grow, and it's caused residents to become more reliant on groundwater for irrigation, which in turn has made farming in the oases more expensive. So today, as opposed to earlier when irrigation water was freely available in the Draw River, you now need to be able to afford a groundwater well or to rent someone else's well. You need to be able to afford the petrol or the gas for the motorized pump. So another challenge with farming in the oases today is the fragmentation of land holdings due to inheritance. So as parents pass away, oasis plots are divided amongst children, and this is really fragmenting land into portions that are very small. So some people are just inheriting, you know, a 20 by 30 plot or eager. And so what is happening is that some people are actually expanding their farming operations into the surrounding area that don't have any tree cover, that are more exposed to the sun and evaporation and starting new farms here. But while it's important to emphasize that although drought and growing families are some of the main reasons for reduced reliance on oasis farming, this is not leading to the abandonment of this practice. So what ends up happening, according to community members whom I interviewed, is that drought in the 1980s and the 1990s sparked this continuous cycle of wage labor migration from the valley to other cities in Morocco for working construction, transportation, et cetera. Um, and so most men and young people today tend to leave the region for work. They may only come back for several weeks around Eid al-Kabir, but many of these wage earnings and remittances are invested locally into farms and other small businesses in Zagora. So while you do see some families moving from the region to cities, I would say more frequently you see many families engaging in work in the cities and investing in local agriculture. Um, and some families are able to purchase more land, they're able to invest in modern farming technology like drip irrigation and experiment with new seeds and crops. And so these work migrations are also transforming rural life in the region and allowing Oasis agriculture to continue which is something that other scholars such as Karen McNall and Hussein Iliahine, among others, also discuss in the southeastern regions of Morocco. But again, the biggest threat facing families today is the lack of water, is drought, the lack of rain for the last several years and the reduction in dam releases. So given these challenges with water, why are you witnessing people continue to grow watermelon? That's a really good question. There's actually several benefits that farmers point out about the watermelons as to why they're growing them. So it's not just that they have a high market value, but they also grow very quickly. So there's less work involved with them compared to other cash crops. You actually plant watermelon in the winter as opposed to the summer. So when you compare this to other cash crops that people are growing in the region, such as henna, henna actually wilts in the winter and is irrigated and harvested throughout the spring and summer, which are the hottest times of the year. And this is a particularly difficult time to farm in Zagora. 
The date varieties, which are local to the region, there some with high market value, such as Mijhul and Bufugus, are being distributed by the agriculture office. However, these seedlings will take between five to seven years before they mature to produce dates, according to farmers in the region. So as farmers are waiting for their date seedlings to mature, you see many people growing watermelon, um, which are ready in about three to four months. So you have very deep roots in Zagora now, um, with all the time that you spent there and are close to many of the farmers and residents. What are their thoughts on some of the changes that have happened in agricultural in the region over time? Well, in general, I found that the sentiment of the older generation of Oasis farmers, these are men and women ranging in age from 50s to their 90s, is that watermelon production or the increase in wells extracting groundwater in the region is not only harmful to the local environment, but also to the community. So, you know, I think they very astutely connect this agrarian turn towards privatization, towards profit with social changes they've observed in their lifetimes occurring in Morocco, which are impacting collective social processes in the villages. So, for example, one oasis farmer told me that Flaha Asalia, these generational oasis farming practices, are disappearing and farming today in the region is becoming a competition with farmers drilling wells and drawing groundwater to their land away from their neighbors. So for this generation of farmers, agriculture is not just a means to earn money, but has long played a role in the social fabric of the community. So it's not always profitable to practice oasis farming today. When I was surveying farmers this summer um, and asked people, you know, did you make enough this year? based on what you put into your farming, most people kind of laughed and said, it's not, you know, it's not profitable really to farm in the Oasis today, but people are still doing that. So most people are investing more labor and money than what they're earning from this farming, but it continues to be a marker of life, a facet of daily routines, and the region supports local diets. So farm labor and irrigation are not just individual tasks, but they're often shared and collectively managed through local practices such as Tiwizi, or this rotating system where a group of individuals will work on one farm one day and then on a neighbor's land the next day. And some people are still doing this in the region. And then vegetables and dates are not always intended to be marketed, but they're shared locally among families and among neighbors. So agriculture is very much a part of community relations, of daily routines and resource sharing. It's not just a business. So as you look back at your research, what are some of the key takeaways that you have and where do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, I would like to share maybe the perspective of some of the farmers that I was speaking with this summer, particularly the younger generation of watermelon farmers. So they have a lot of suggestions of how water and agriculture could be better managed in this region. First of all, one of the common responses I heard from younger watermelon farmers was that they didn't necessarily want to be growing watermelon, but they didn't see any other alternatives in the province. So they expressed a need not just for better suited crops, but also for more investment and work opportunity and training programs in the region outside of agriculture. This is a province of the country that really functions off of agriculture. There's not any other industries and there's not many other work opportunities outside of agriculture and some tourism in the region. The second point, though, that was iterated to me by watermelon farmers was that the watermelon market in Morocco needs to be better regulated on the national level. So the market is very unstable because it is controlled by outside demand. There's not enough protections for local producers. And so I heard many accounts of how farmers are at the mercy of buyers and how these buyers will frequently abandon their purchase agreements or renegotiate with farmers if the market falls once the watermelon crop is ready to be harvested. And so this creates a lot of pressure for farmers to sell early when the market is high. And that incentivizes uncontrolled production of watermelon 
watermelon across Morocco. And so watermelon is profitable in Zagora because it's ready to be harvested before other regions typically. So Tata and Zagora are the first regions of the country to produce watermelon. But if you can't sell your crop early in the season when the market is still high, then you might lose everything if you can't sell at a profitable rate. So many families are taking out a lot of debt from seed companies, plant product companies in order to grow the products to begin with um, and making partnerships with investors. And so if they can't pay back this debt, then they end up carrying that year upon year upon year. So it's kind of digging a lot of families into holes. So farmers say one thing, one way to kind of alleviate this situation is that there should be a fixed price for watermelon in the country and more respected contracts between buyers and producers and some mechanism to monitor this. So why are watermelons more profitable for farmers than other products? Um, so this question is really important to contextualize farmers' rationale for growing watermelon in Zagora. Um, so watermelon growing for export is a very recent trend, which really only started in the early 2000s and really takes off after 2010 in the region, according to local farmers. Um, and Morocco's agriculture strategy since the 1980s has focused on opening up the international market to Moroccan producers and increasing the country's export of agricultural products to help reduce its trade deficit. So Morocco has a warmer climate than Europe, so the country can produce fruits and vegetables earlier than their season. And so according to data from the Ministry of Agriculture, Morocco's exports of early fruits and vegetables to Europe, the Gulf, and Sub-Saharan Africa have increased by 66% since 2009, with watermelon and other melon products contributing another 66% of the total early fruit production in 2019. So this strategy has been critiqued by many academics and scholars, particularly the Moroccan economist Nejib Exby, for overemphasizing export agriculture over meeting the country's own food needs. So while Morocco's export of citrus, of tomatoes, of early fruits and vegetables have increased since the 2000s, the country is still reliant on importing wheat and other cereals to meet their basic food needs. So sometimes it's actually more expensive to produce wheat locally than it is to buy it. And this is something that Karen Ragnall points out in her work in, with Oasis Farmers in the Magoon Valley, just north of the Dara. But I do want to emphasize that it's not just watermelons that are contributing to water scarcity in Zagora. If people were farming henna or if they were farming alfalfa at the rate at which they're farming watermelon, the situation would be similar or possibly worse because these are also water intensive crops. And this is something that local officials and farmers pointed out to me. But I mentioned that watermelon cultivation really takes off in the province in the 2000s. At the same time, you see an expansion in the number of groundwater irrigated farms in the region, which are incentivized by agriculture assistance programs. So through a program called the Green Morocco Plan, this is Morocco's agriculture strategy from 2008 to 2020, farmers can receive 80 to 100% subsidies for irrigation equipment to extract groundwater, to store it in these large open air basins along with drip irrigation technology. And so this irrigation assistance acts as a major incentive to start a new farm or increase your production by extracting large amounts of groundwater. And it's predominantly not going to Oasis farmers who have these small scattered land holdings throughout the Oasis. It's predominantly going to support these newer farms, which tend to be located on dry land, on land that didn't previously support farms, that may have been used as rangeland or grazing land for camels, goats, and sheep in the past, and is now being converted to agriculture. And so this is straining local groundwater resources. So I did speak with one family who I know pretty well from my work with Peace Corps as well. And they actually were not from the community from Tamsmut where I was living and working as a Peace Corps volunteer. They were from Fasia, this region that's really well known for watermelon growing in Zagora. And they were farming in the region. They weren't just farming watermelon. They had more of a diverse production for their household. They were farming vegetables and wheat as well as watermelon, but they ran out of water in their well in this region. And so this is somewhere south in the valley. And so they end up moving from the 
the region of Zagora up north to Temzimut and then, you know, not having any land to live on, actually living in a tent or six months before someone loaned them a house to live in. And so it took them kind of years of working for other people, working on other farms, working for other people in the oasis to kind of save up the money to then rent their own farm. Now they're doing very well. They're renting land in Warzazat and starting a new farm in that region. But, you know, I guess that's just an example of how the longer term consequences of water scarcity for people in the region is a lived experience. Thank you for listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagribpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean.